Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the 98th episode of the award-winning Diverse Minds Podcast. And as you know, for July, the theme is all about myth-busting. And on today's episode, I'm going to be talking about emojis and what they have to do with equality and diversity. Why am I talking about this? Well, it's World Emoji Day on the 17th of July. The purpose of World Emoji Day is to promote the use of emojis and spread the enjoyment that they bring to all those around us. I have to say, I ended up doing a lot of research into this topic because there's a lot more to emojis than you may think. World Emoji Day was something created a year into Emojipedia, which is the encyclopedia of emojis, if you will, developed by Jeremy Burge in 2014. However, emojis themselves were initially created in Japan as a form of communication to add an emotional nuance to plain text. According to Emojipedia, SoftBank, a Japanese carrier, brought the first set of emojis to life in 1997, comprising 90 emoji characters. Over the years, emojis have gained extreme popularity in Japan, and big corporations like Apple and Google saw potential success opportunities in taking the emojis culture outside Japan. So from 2007 until 2010, the Unicode Consortium had been approached by different initiatives and teams to include emojis in their system. Unicode Consortium is a non-profit group that was formed in the early 90s and works on maintaining tech standards when sent from one country to another and one computer to the other. In 2010, Unicode accepted the proposal of two Apple engineers to adopt 625 new emoji characters, announcing emojis to be officially accessible everywhere. And in 2015, the word emoji was chosen as Oxford Dictionary's Word of the Year. As of March 2020, there were 3,304 emojis in the Unicode standard. Supposedly, emoji is the fastest growing language. And in 2020, 117 new emojis were introduced, including a toothbrush, bubble tea, the transgender flag, a black cat, and more. And it's believed that 92% of online users use emojis worldwide. But emojis haven't always represented all of us. Updates are added regularly. For example, red hair, afro hair, a bald head were added in 2018 from the research I did in a range of skin colors. But that, those updates don't really go far enough. As emojis need to represent the spectrum of disabled communities, non-binary representations are still something that needs to be improved and women in professional jobs, not to mention the lack of a menstruation emoji, which I'm going to talk about later. So we talk about unconscious and implicit bias, and actually emojis play a part in this. There is no such thing as a neutral or apolitical technological system, as you might have heard if you read articles about AI and how assistive software does have bias encoded into it. According to researcher Kate Miltner, who spent two years researching why emojis were developed with such a limited worldview, she says technology neutrality is a myth. She concluded that there was no intention to actively exclude people, but that the icons did align with a belief that inadvertently marginalizes people, and this belief that technology is neutral. She goes on to say, emoji and emojis may seem trivial, just silly little faces, but when you aren't represented by something that's so widely used, it's a problem. The values, either intentionally or unintentionally, baked into the systems we use on a daily basis can deeply impact people and how they navigate the world. 
Investing in the idea that technology is neutral ignores and even erases the influence of engineers, designers, and the organizations they work for. When this happens, it often works out that marginalized groups, for example, people of color, LGBTQIA plus folks, differently abled people are not taken into consideration because they are not considered to be the default or the norm. And this is the thing. I talk about this a lot. White dominant culture is not neutral. It's white dominant culture or white, you know, heterosexual culture or non-disabled culture. So language is important and emojis form part of language right now. If imagery dictates standards and standards of beauty um, and ideology and what's normal and neutral, admittedly, one of these images may not on its own be problematic. But if all the same imagery conveys the same skin tone, constrained gender roles, then it feeds into biases and assumptions of what the norm is. Given that it took just only hours to recognize the inaccuracies in the emoji release in 2018 of a lobster and a skateboard, this is in sharp contrast to note that it took until 2015, eight years after the Unicode Consortium's formation, for emojis to be created representing a range of skin tone, and almost 10 years for the team to create emojis representing women in various professional environments. Also, as I mentioned earlier, considering non-binary disability representations across the globe for disability, including sign languages of which there are around 300. So it's great to see that there are sign language emojis, but they tend to be representative of American sign language. And of course, American and British sign language are different, let alone all the other countries where sign language is spoken. In 2015, going back to the point about skin tones, the Unicode Consortium introduced its range of skin tone emojis, and this range included five different skin tones in addition to the standard yellow one. However, the quote-unquote standard Simpsons-esque yellow wasn't neutral. Given the racist history for people who identify as having South or Far East Asian heritage being referred to using the racial slur, quote unquote, yellow, this wasn't lost on this community who called it out across social media and tech blogs. In addition, according to a Finery29 article, the Unicode Consortium is fully aware of the fact that not everyone will be represented through the five skin tones. Now, I don't know about you, but I do tend to grapple with this. And also, I see myself a particular way and other people might not see me in the same way. So often I do use potentially what might be considered a darker skin tone, but it definitely resonates with me more. And I'm going to touch on skin tones a bit later. But these five skin tones are actually not really based on real colors of skin. Um, instead, the colors were chosen using the Fitzpatrick scale, which is a dermatological scale of tone. And herein lies the trickiness between skin color and true representation. So instead of creating real emojis that represent each race, talking to people, emoji design companies decided to take what's considered by, te by tech journals an easy way out by coloring the white yellow emojis in different shades. This has a different feel to it, thus ignoring the physical features of each race or the representation of each race and offending the consumers that they were originally putting this together to please. And there is a term for this. There's also been lots of reporting and backlash around people who identify as white using darker skin tones. And while this might think, well, isn't this solidarity? Isn't this uh, a good thing to do? There's actually a term for it, and it's called digital blackface. Uh, as Law M. Jackson described in an article for The Owl in 2014, she says, quote, non-black people making anonymous claims to black identity through contemporary technological mediums, such as social media, is not a good idea. And thinking about this, it is about 
considering while emoji co-opting may not always be wrong or bad, it does have a sense of being able to use an aspect of someone's cultural identity however you please without due consideration or understanding of systemic racialized systems, and it can convey a lack of respect. So maybe you use a particular skin tone in summer and winter whimsically. Well, this isn't really the same as having to deal and manage with everyday systemic racism, is it? So there's first issue on skin tone. Now I want to share the story with you about the blood drop emoji and the battle to get this recognized as menstrual blood. In 2017, the charity Plan International started a petition to make a period emoji a reality. And Plan's UK petition garnered 54,600 signatures of which I was one signatory. They also showcased a number of designs and most of the supporters voted for the underwear with blood droplets, but Unico did not accept the design. When asked why they rejected Plan UK's original period design, Unicode did not answer the question directly, but president and co-founder Mark Davis responded by email saying, quote, emojis proposals are accepted based on the strength of the proposal alone and are not impacted by petitions and lobbying, close quote. Then in September 2018, Plan UK teamed up with the NHS Blood and Transplant Team, the UK government's blood and organ donation service, and submitted a new proposal for a blood drop emoji to denote donation as well. Interestingly, Unicode selected it as an official emoji in February 2019. So it goes to show we like to encourage women to have children in society, but heaven forbid we talk about menstrual blood, menstruation and periods. So I'm really glad we have that emoji because it isn't also just saying, oh, you know, someone's texting about periods. This is a tool that is used around the globe. So in many countries where people may not have access to the things we would expect in the global north, a lot of people do have access to phones and can communicate about periods where it might be more shameful than we would expect using these emojis. And it does create uh, a way to, for people to express themselves and talk about this. And now wait for it. Tech workers, professors or scientists and many other professions were depicted only by male emojis until 2016. And in 2015, a study was carried out by Procter & Gamble, which showed that 54% of girls felt female emojis were stereotypical and that 60% of girls believed society's expectations have a negative impact on their life. So by increasing female representation in global user experience via emojis, this could actually really help women and girls to see themselves in careers that aren't stigmatized as quote unquote female jobs. So in 2020, we did also see an additional 55 gender and skin tone variants, including MX claws, man with a veil and a woman in a tuxedo. But the fact that professional women from scientists, so there was a scientist added, a welder, a rock star as females is really, really shocking. So I really hope you're enjoying the content of this podcast and you want to keep up to date with my work then why not join my bi-monthly newsletter? Please find a link in the show notes. And if you join my mailing list, you'll receive a copy of my ebook, The Mentally Healthy Leading Manager. So check out bit.ly forward slash M-H-L-M-E-B-K-L-N-K. And if you can't remember that, no worries, it's in the show notes. Okay, back to our emojis. So what can we do and why do we care? Well, interestingly, when I was doing my research, I found there is a grassroots organization called Emoji Nation who want to make emoji approval an inclusive and representative process. Their efforts have drawn worldwide media attention throughout successful campaigns for the hijab emoji and the dumpling emoji. They also run the highly successful Emojicon conference and fun emoji spelling bee. And I've included a link in the show notes. 
An Emojination was set up by three women, Jean Brooks, an ecosystem architect. Jean Brooks is an architect that built the community around Emojination by bringing people together through Emojicon, a celebration of all things emoji, which features the Emoji Spelling Bee, Emoji Karaoke, and Emoji Studio. Jennifer Aitley, an Airtable master. When Jenny learned there was no dumpling emoji, from Yi Ying Lu, she felt like the system was broken. She joined the Unicode Consortium and is now vice chair of the Unicode Emoji Subcommittee. She believes in giving voice to people on issues of emoji. And Yi Ying Lu, an artist of Twitter, and she's created many emojis. She's a bilingual speaker and former creative director, 500 startups, Fast Company's most creative people in 2018, and a dumpling connoisseur. So if you have a look at Emoji Nation's website, it is fascinating. And what they want to do is for people to be able to have their culture and their identity represented. And emojis they've helped pass, the sauna emoji with the Finnish government, the red envelope emoji with Baidu, so red envelope for Chinese Lunar New Year, dumpling emoji, broccoli emoji with vegetarians, the DNA emoji with the G in American Chemical Society. And if you have a look on the website, there's a take action section and they talk about how you can get the emoji that you want um, on the list or how it can be done. And it's really great to see some of the things on there like uh, seahorse and starfish and durian and fufu um, so absolutely have a look and if there's something there the dosa is on there kimchi plantain and i think these things are super super important so that everyone's foods and cultures can be recognized so it can take well over 18 months for a proposed emoji to complete the review process which includes gaining the approval of iso yet another international standards body the decision makers along the way they say are generally male white and engineers they specialize in encoding such a review process certainly is less than ideal for promoting a vibrant visual language used throughout the world and they absolutely want to change that so people can recognize themselves and their cultures from activities to the food represented and then i stumbled across a really great guide so what can we do to make sure that our emojis that we're using are equitable that we're considering what we're using and it has meaning and purpose and i've included a link to this in the show notes and it's from feminuity and they have a quick guide to inclusive emoji use and they comprise of Amy Gee, an associate at Feminuity, and Dr. Sarah Saska, the CEO of Feminuity. And they also talk about the fact that emojis are far more than silly visuals. They actually are used to express identities, interests, cultures, and emotions. And you know the phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words. So it's so important that people see themselves represented. So first of all, they talk about the fact that if you don't have a lot of information, be as neutral as you can. And being neutral is not about going for what is the dominant culture, but sticking to emojis that don't communicate explicit things. And when in doubt, they say that one of the things they like to use is cat or animal expressions. If you're doing a campaign and you're reaching out to lots of people and you're using emojis, then use all the five skin tones available. Yes, we know they're not perfect, but at least they shows as a flavor of representation. They also talk about resetting the default skin tone for emojis. So changing it from the yellow gold cartoony Simpson-esque default um, is, to, is supposed to convey a raceless emoji, but we, we talked about that. That's not necessarily a case. And they include a resource that will help you walk you through changing your emoji menu to suit your skin tone. Importantly, and there was a lot of discourse about this online, so don't use a darker skin tone emoji to show solidarity if you define as white. And they say, while it might be tempting as a white person to use a darker skin tone emoji to demonstrate solidarity or allyship, it's, it's not great because, as I mentioned, it's this thing around digital blackface and brownface, and it can be seen as cultural 
appropriation. And in the US, there is a lot of discussion about how using the white skin emoji uh, links to white supremacy or the ideology of white supremacy. But it's not. To use a white skin tone is actually using what, what your skin is. And the author and feminist Roxane Gay also talks about this and says, do not use a darker skin color if your skin isn't dark. And I think I've explained some of those points earlier on in this podcast. They also talk about instead of using a white hand, why not use the, you know, to symbolize the default. Of course, if your hand is white, we've mentioned that, absolutely use it. But use an arrow if you're trying to show something that's default. They talk about how some of the fruits and vegetables used, you know, the aubergine and the peach, and I'm not going to go into that, how they can be seen as sexually explicit. So if you're using that to communicate, just be very mindful how some emojis might have a double meaning. Thinking about if you're using a default for a construction worker, you've now got options. It doesn't have to be a white male construction worker. Um, and also how emojis, use of emojis will impact those with visual impairments or who use screen readers or text to speech. So make sure that they can interpret an emoji by reading a description of the emoji out loud. For example, a star emoji will be identified as a star out loud. And in order to provide a good experience for those with visual impairments, avoid using multiples of the same emoji uh, continuously on the screen so it won't read you know exclamation mark exclamation mark smiley face smiley face smiley face because it's not great if you're visually impaired and of course not all emojis carry the same meaning or connotation across cultures and spaces so be really really aware of that and be really mindful of that and it's not neutral so things that we perceive as day-to-day in western culture may not be the same in eastern cultures asian cultures arab cultures south american cultures etc so just be mindful of that So I really hope you found this useful. I have to say, I did not realize how much there was out there, but essentially the emojis are part of the wider scope of language. And as we know, language matters and is important. And if you want to know more about spoken language or written language that isn't in emoji format, why not check out my podcast, Why Bother with Inclusive Language? And also my blog post, Seven Ways Inclusive Language Improves the Workplace. Choice of emojis is great, but it doesn't always mean representation, as we've seen with job representation with women and also the skin tones. Think about what is truly neutral versus the dominant culture being perceived or accepted as neutral. And why not talk about this subject with others? As I said, I scratched the surface and there was so much underneath. So how do you use emojis in your friendship group? Do you use things flippantly? How things could be communicated better than you do? Again, with friends, of course, you might use certain emojis to convey jokes and innuendo. And that's, you know, that's one thing to do in a friendship group. But also thinking about that personal and professional boundary. It's super important. So if you want to work with me, I'd love you to get in touch and you can have a look on my website, diverseminds.co.uk forward slash solutions. And don't forget, I also offer one hour power hours and consultancy support. And if you've enjoyed this, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast from. And I really look forward to seeing you and you listening to the next episode, which is going to be with the incredible Diana Singh, where we talk about uplifting impact and true allyship. So until the next episode, take care. Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.